Welcome to Lead with Less, the podcast for confident professionals with me, your host, Tash Peterson, Certified Leadership and Mindset Coach. This is the podcast for confident professionals that will help you move through overwhelm, burnout and self-doubt by sharing actionable strategies and practical steps that can have an immediate impact for you. With a mix of solo and guest episodes, I will share everything I've learned and applied over the last decade that has enabled me to create an extremely successful HR career and since then a profitable and thriving coaching business, all while blending it with everyday life and motherhood. I've also coached and empowered over 150 clients through one-on-one coaching and group programs to transform their lives and careers using these strategies. They now confidently thrive as their best selves and now I want you to have access to all of the goods too. This is the perfect spot if you're new to your career, a seasoned professional or aspiring into a people leadership role and want to lead with less so you can live and work with more confidence, clarity and energy. Hello, hello, and welcome to Lead With Less. This is a fantastic episode with Cullum McCurdy, all about neurodiversions as a superpower. This is definitely one of the topics that I want to learn more about. I want to expand my knowledge in uh, because I have coached clients with neurodivergence and I want to also learn about how I can be more inclusive in this way in terms of how I show up and how I can support people around me. Now, even though you may not necessarily uh, have neurodivergence, and in this episode, Cullum explains all about what that is, what we mean by that language, this could also really just help you in terms of interacting with people around you as colleagues, friends, family members who do, or just to learn more about some tendencies that you might realize you have. So I really love this episode in terms of educating yourself, learning more, and just expanding your knowledge about things that maybe you just don't know anything about right now. So I'm going to introduce Callum before we dive into this incredible episode. Callum is a speaker, author, mentor, and facilitator specializing in workplace dynamics and behavior, having spent the past two decades assisting Australasian leaders and teams to leverage their uniqueness. Callum helps workplaces harness the power of different thinking, those cohorts of the workforce that have always existed yet have slipped under the radar or appeared on the radar for all the wrong reasons. Callum is proudly dyslexic and ADHD positive, which he uses to champion organizations to think differently about different thinking. He is the author of The HR Catalyst, a guide to the new practice of leading HR, published in 2019, and contributing author to the 2020 Amazon bestseller, What the Hell Do We Do Now? An Enterprise Guide to COVID-19 and Beyond. He's also long overdue to publish his second book, Tilt, Thinking Differently About Different Thinking. Cullum is so great. I love the way his brain works. I love the way he thinks. I love the way he talks. And I really love how he shares so openly, candidly, and compassionately, I think would say, I would use the word compassionately and with non-judgment about the ADHD world, the neurodivergence world, and holding space for me to also increase my own skills and knowledge in this space. So I'm really excited for this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find a lot of benefit from it. And I hope that it expands your thinking on different thinking. So let's dive in. Hello, hello, Callum. It's so amazing to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited to hear what you have to say and your knowledge and your experience on this conversation of neurodivergence as a superpower. Cool. Thank you. Um, pleasure to be here. It's going to be going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Amazing. Well, yeah, let's jump straight in. Can you tell us about yourself, Callum? Can you tell us your story and what led you to doing the work that you do today? Sure. Um, oh, and permission, Tash, to um, totally uh, cut me off at any time because I tend to be a bit of a waffler. What do I do? What's my background? About 20, I must have 22, 23 years in and around HR and have always been fascinated by people, by uh, why people do what they do in the, in the workplace. Uh, I do a lot of work around workplace behavior, team dynamics, um, leadership and culture development, which are quite quite broad. Having done a, I did an honors degree in human geography and anthropology. So that's about why people live where they do and what they get up to. So there's sort of 
some crossover there, or at least that's the excuse I used to try and justify a, a hefty student loan way back in the day. So I have this expertise around um, like that employee life cycle, the um, people management processes, but I never understood why those never made sense to me. And when I was 42, a um, few years back, I was diagnosed with ADHD and that made a hell of a lot of sense because I always knew I was dyslexic. I didn't know I had a thing called dyscalculia as well, which is essentially the numbers version of dyslexia. Mm. Um, but the ADHD uh, made a lot of sense because it gave me, um, not excuses, but it gave me reasons for why I live and experience the world the way I do. And that's, I, I think, really, and and understanding that and researching a little bit more into well, what does that actually mean it helped me realize that I'm not particularly special or unique yet I have this expertise and um, like hundreds of if not thousands of people do around people management systems but also I have this lived experience of not ever fitting those and not understanding why you know best practice and good practice was called such a thing because they just never made sense to me and so the work I do now is kind of a I act as a bridge between organizations and their people management systems and um, people who don't fit those systems so I do a lot of coaching um, group coaching and facilitation around uh, helping people who are um, neurodivergent mainly people with dyslexia and ADHD um, to help them harness the goodness that that brings and we can talk a wee bit about that uh, soon but I'm just trying to answer your question so I work with people who are neurodivergent, so professionals who are neurodiverse, and I also help uh, organizations and teams set up, I guess, cultures and um, team uh, interactions that help make the best use of people who think differently. Um, and what that does is it helps to helps people feel like they're adding value when they um, didn't necessarily think that they could um, or were hiding the value that they thought they could offer. But it also allows for leaders and teams to go, okay, this isn't actually about neurodivergence. This is about different people and the fact that we all come across and, and we come about things differently. We experience things a wee bit differently. So lots of the work I do with organizations is actually about, are we making the best use of the difference in our teams? especially when that old adage around recruitment for fit was um, overdone mm. uh, to mean sort of, it's almost like that gets interpreted by what I'll call weak managers who just want people who are easy to manage. So they recruit people with minds like theirs, uh, with experience, with education, um, with careers, CVs, et cetera, like theirs. So they can just sort of get on with it, but they're actually, you're not plugging gaps. And so you don't, necessarily fill up that entire problem space of going actually we need people who do not who who don't see or see this this piece of work quite differently to how i do um and so i just help teams harness that and a wee bit of difference does that answer oh, your question oh it really does and i oh, love God. that so much i I mean, my background's HR as well, and I hated the culture fit. Like, we need people yeah. fit that fit the culture. It's like, no, we need people that add to the culture. Yeah, you know? So we kind of moved into that culture ad, and that's where, like, employee experience started coming in. But that's ultimately what it is, right? And I yeah. talk a lot about, like, high-performing teams is about everyone bringing something different to the team because not everyone can have the same strengths because then who's covering the gaps, yeah. right? Like, uh, yeah, because if everyone's got the same strengths, everyone will probably have the same gaps. I don't call exactly. them weaknesses. So yeah. who's who's filling those? And that's where, yeah. you know, different thinking is actually something we need to be embracing because otherwise we get group think. We get, yep. you know, all of the same, same, same. But I I also agree it's the path of least resistance, right? That's that's oh, it's easy. that's fundamentally what the brain always wants. It's like, how can I use the least amount of energy to get through my day? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I um I have a, a, a keynote that I talk about um, living and working at the ends of the bell curve because all our people management systems and school and the economy and everything is all set up for that one size fits most, that big mm. bear valley of the bell curve. And the people I like to work with and essentially who I am is someone who lives and works at the ends of the bell curve. Stuff just doesn't make sense for us. And that makes us feel really, really weak um, and broken and needing and to isolated. be isolated. Isolated. I'm not quote unquote normal. 
I don't fit. Yeah, yeah. And also the imposter syndrome of the fact that I managed to sneak in through these recruitment processes and they mm. didn't pick up on it then. And also there's, we've got, got a, a whole bunch of things going on. Like 80% of neurodiverse people are undiagnosed, so they have no idea what's going on for them. And so it's just, we're just getting by and we're just coping. But also in New Zealand and in Australia, we're two of the most passive aggressive nations on the planet. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah, I know, believe it or not. Um, it may come <laughs> as a surprise to you, Tash, but um, it's true. And so we don't, um, so that fear of conflict and the need to have the best idea fully formed before we share it and not um, speak out about behavior that is a bit odd and just put up with some some stuff. It means that um, that whole recruiting for fit and just needing to fit in and be part of the team, we double down on that. And so as a result, all we do do is um, recruit minds like mine. And and so I think the, the key is for, yes, we do need to converge as teams, but where do we diverge? And, mm. and that doesn't have to be that it doesn't have to be negative. Sometimes it is, and let's deal with that. But we've got systems and processes for that sort of stuff. That's easy to take care of. It's where do we not agree on what the problem is as opposed to what is the solution? Mm. Uh, that's the stuff that needs to be talked about because there's some validity in there. Absolutely. And and the best ideas never start as the best ideas. Like you know, often start from a really rubbish idea. So let's canvas that. Like, let's not worry about being amazing first time around. Let's just talk about what's the stupidest thing we can do mm. and start from there. Like, just... If there was no failing, if like we couldn't get it wrong, quote unquote, I hate right and wrong, but if we couldn't get it wrong, what would we do? Like, that's the question I kind of post to my, my clients often is if, if you couldn't get this wrong, like if you literally couldn't fail, like what would you be doing? Like, yeah. what would you choose? And yeah, it's that, you know, it's that, kind of startup mentality that agile yep. mentality we need to have right of like fail fast totally. learn quick you know and just go 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 what's our fastest way to fail like mm. look at that and go okay actually there's some stuff in that and because we often write off the entire process and the the the, the linear trajectory of of things as opposed to going oh yeah that ends in failure but there's actually some stuff in that which might be amazing mm. Like, it's not inevitable that if we do this, this, and this, that the first this and this and that are, are quite wrong. Mm. Um, it could be the end point that's, that's wrong. So let's just look at um, what's in there that could be genius. Yeah, um, and it's just, love just that. looking at things a wee bit differently. Whew. That was a rabbit hole. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I could go on them. So many, could go, so, go through so many of those. Um, okay, so you support organizations and people to embrace that different thinking, right? Embrace... Mm -hmm the way that their mind works, not how their mind should work. Yep. So let's kind of get back to a bit of basics because there might be, as you said, there's 80% of people who aren't actually diagnosed. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you explain neurodivergence? Like, what is it? You know, you said uh, ADHD, dyslexia. There are some people who may not even really know what, you know, any of those are, but kind of from the basic level, how do you explain neurodivergence? Mm -hmm. And what is it and how may it, I mean, we obviously can't, we're not diagnosing here or doing anything like that, but what, you know, what might just be some of the things that people might see that why, why doesn't this work for me or why, why do I feel like I don't fit? Yeah. It's um, neurodiversity is helpful and unhelpful all at the same time. So uh, it's an umbrella term. Um, of course, everybody is neurodiverse. Nobody has the, no two people have the same brains. Uh, some people are wired slightly differently. So some people experience the world as a, as a result of um, how they produce and uh, process particular neurochemicals and hormones. Uh, some people experience the world a little bit differently based on neuropathways um, in the brain, that sort of thing. So it's something that isn't caused it's not an illness uh doesn't need to be fixed doesn't need to be cured it's something innate and it's how the brain is is structured i use the term wired it, even though there's no wires in the brain right but it's a catch-all umbrella term for people whose uh, experience of the world based on their neurology means that they are more neurodivergent 
as opposed to neurodiverse, right? Because mm-hmm. there's neurotypical, which is the majority of people and how they experience things, and then there's neurodiverse, um, or what I refer to as neurodivergent. So there's there's sort of the big three in that ADHD, autism, dyslexia. But of course, there's um, with the disses. So with dyslexia, that just means it's Latin for difficulty with words. Um, there's dyscalculia, which is difficulty with numbers or calculations, um, dysgraphia and dyspraxia. So there's a, a bunch of others there, and they're not necessarily related, right? And then we have other things that like uh, Tourette's. Um, PTSD, which is oh, and a bit of an anomaly because that's post post traumatic stress disorder. That is that's something that's um, there's a causation to that mm. sometime somewhere along your lifetime, but that's because some people experience trauma that's so great that it does permanently rewire mm. the brain, and so that's why it's um, I guess it's under that umbrella t- term. So while there's a move now to help. Um, organizations embrace neurodiversity you can't do that like it's not a a catch-all because what Mm. works for someone with dyslexia isn't necessarily useful for someone with PTSD what works for someone with Tourette's doesn't necessarily help people with ADHD that sort of thing and so we've got to be really careful at what we're targeting which is why it's about culture as opposed to specifics in there because you can get caught up in the specifics but also could I pop in there yeah this is kind of where I come back to it's not necessarily about diversity diversity it's about inclusion like it's being neuro-inclusive right like it's it's looking at that individual and going this is how you see things how you show Mm. up how you do things how do we include that in the way that we build our, our organization and run our teams and and problem solve and create, you know, solutions and things like that. Diversity is we diversify and our organizations become diversified when we actually practice inclusion. Like do people feel seen, included, safe? Mm -hmm. When that is the core, people are more willing to be like, hey, I actually have ADHD. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's cultural. And entirely what you said is, is it's about having a conversation with the individual. It's like, what do you need? Which is why it's really helpful if you do have a diagnosis. But a couple of things in that, my brain's sort of firing all over the place going, where do I even start? Yeah. Because <laughs> so, there's, um, so there's comorbidities, which is a stupid term because nobody's ever died of dyslexia, right? However, mm-hmm. there's coexistence and co-occurrence of um, multiple um, neurodivergences. So uh, a number of people with ADHD are also dyslexic number of people with autism also have ADHD. It's not so common for people with autism to be dyslexic, right? And so one doesn't guarantee the other. However, the uh, opportunity or potential for multiple things going on is quite high. What that also means is that your experience of your own neurodivergence is quite different from a lot of other people. So we can't just say people with ADHD are like this. People with dyslexia are like this. And they're also, the labels are quite wrong as well. Like ADHD, there's no deficit of attention, but that's the first two words there. I have a deficit of an ability to pay attention to one thing at a time. So that's quite different. I mean, in the world today, that's getting harder and harder for the general population as well, right? So I can only imagine for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's exa- exacerbated. But yet, when I'm really interested in something, I have no, no problem paying attention, which is when my time blindness kicks in. So I lose track of time. And I think I've spent five minutes on something that's been an hour and a half. And I was meant to put the kids to bed, you know, ages ago, that sort of thing. So there's that in there. There's always also the fact that neurodivergence, neurodiversity has always existed. Like it's part of how the human brain has evolved. Some people um, have evolved out of it. Some people have evolved into it. Not not people, individuals, but like um, family trees, etc. Which means that in our workplaces, we've always had a cohort of people, maybe 10, 15, 20% of our workplaces, workforces that are neurodivergent, right? And so we don't have to recruit new people in to get on this bandwagon of harnessing neurodiversity. We just need to seek out the people we've got right now, Mm. which means we need to build cultures that allow people to feel safe enough to trust that they're going to be taken 
seriously. I think also the one thing, um, and this is why I struggle with uh, neurodiversity as a, a diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging type category, is that because it's so broad and it doesn't discriminate, like it doesn't care if you're male, female, mm. or whatever along that gender spectrum. It doesn't care about um, your ethnicity, your 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 sexual orientation, religious beliefs, anything like that. Like it does not discriminate because it's diversity of the mind, which means it's potential that's innate in anybody. So harnessing neurodiversity is a way of really uh, tapping into getting a performance and a financial benefit if that's what you want in your organization um, across those diversity and equity categories that we could have solved, but we just haven't done. Like the gender pay gap, we could have solved that decades ago. Yeah, why is we this still a problem? Want... Seriously. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Racism. Could have solved that. Don't want to. Right. Mm. It serves it serves us to persist with those sort of things. And I know that's a, a rabbit hole to get down to go down so we won't do that yeah, but neurodiversity exactly. doesn't mm. discriminate um, because anybody can be neurodiverse mm. and lots of people in our organizations are we just and I think this eventually answers your question of how does it show up traditionally we've thought of people who are neurodivergent as people who have been hard to manage um, they've been the problem children and so we've exited them on performance grounds but when they've challenged people too much uh, they might speak their mind they may their performance and potential may have plateaued when we think they showed really great promise but then that performance plateaued and they could never explain that so we think that they've sort of hit a hit a ceiling and they can't go any further um all these all these sorts of time management uh sometimes the people who are often really creative great at starting stuff rubbish at finishing mm. that um uh, we've got people who are amazing with clients really good at selling jobs or or selling work or a thing or a, or a product but not really good at producing that thing or they could be really good at producing things but they're rubbish with their teammates socially so there's it shows up a whole lot of different ways I think what it really is Tash is it's an amplification of how how most people operate so there's mm. certain traits which are really really heightened or amplified and we also rely on old stereotypes of things that don't necessarily fit or aren't helpful. So, for example, autism, we still think Rain Man is a great example of someone mm. with Yeah, that's the most extreme case. The majority of people with autism, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't notice. We think people um, with autism um, are socially impaired and can't uh, empathize with people. But if you put a bunch of people with autism in a room together, the, the empathy is through the roof, like mm. they get each other. And so it's just a difference of experience. Dyslexia, we think that's a learning disability and it's actually got very little to do with intelligence. In fact, a lot of people with dyslexia are really high in intelligence and IQ scores. They just learn differently. Mm. So rote learning, repetition, that sort of thing, times tables, the way we learn to spell, um, they just don't work. They learn in a different way, which mm. is often quicker. It's just not a way people are taught in our schools. Yeah. And this comes back to like your fundamental point earlier, right? Where because everything's made to fit most, as soon as someone is outside of that, it's just this panic of like, you, yeah, like how do we deal with you? We don't know. Yep. But I mean, I have a whole thing to say about the whole schooling system. But... Well, when, I, when we moved from, I can remember back in primary school, when we moved from picture books to chapter books, I can remember saying to um, my teacher, I still remember the room, the day, the artwork on the wall, exactly where we were in the room at the time. And I said, these books are amazing because the words move. Because um, when I read a, a book with justified columns, I see the start and the end of each um, line or paragraph and something in the middle and it merges. So I get lots of white space. And I can remember saying to my teacher, these books are amazing the way the text moves. And she said, Callum, it doesn't do that. That's your eyes. So we got my eyes tested and I came back with 2020 vision. And she said, well, you've got great vision. So there's nothing we can do. And I was one of those kids that just wanted to fit in. Like that's all oh I wanted to do. And so I just shut up about it. Right. And switched off and didn't know I had ADHD as well. And so um, wondered why I was left out in the playground when the bell went at interval at the end of that and needed to get back at, back to class. But I, So there were a whole lot of things that happened for me at school which meant that I could have been left behind. But I was also, um, because 
and this is a trait of people with dyslexia is we're super high in empathy. And so it means we can see and understand other people's experiences. And that meant that I knew what it felt like when I was left out. And so I made sure that other people were never left out, right? And mm -hmm. that's often to my detriment um, as well. But it meant that also I knew, I knew how to get my way with people. Um, mm -hmm. I won't say manipulate, but it was definitely influence people. And one thing I can remember realizing when I was five years old is that adults just want, they just want to be noticed and be, be valued as well. And that was through the mum of a friend who I had a conversation with. And she said, this is weird. Like kids don't speak to adults like this. And rather than go, oh, I shouldn't do this. It's like, ha, huh, this is how I get on. Mm. This is how I get by. And so that's, it's just those sort of learnings. Like, Well, you uh, took I, it as like, how does this expand me, right? Like totally. instead of this becoming yep. that hindrance, it's like, ooh, I could use this to yeah. move towards where I want to go. But I guess this like actually leads into my next question really well, like, that may not necessarily be hmm. the inclination for many people. It's not for the majority. Yeah. So, you know, for a lot of people who are quote unquote different, who don't mm -hmm. fit in, who aren't normal, all the words that I don't like, um, you know, they might retreat and be like, you know what, they don't get me. Why yeah. should I bother? You know, yeah. and you even you, like you even said like, well, I'm just going to shut up. I'm not going to talk about the fact that yeah. the paragraph moves in the book that I'm in the book that I'm reading. So why is it that we're still scared? I want to use that term because I think that that's, I think that it comes from a place of fear, a place of mm. fear of not getting it, maybe not, maybe getting it wrong. I don't know. But why is it still something that we're scared of that we're not seeing different thinking as something to be embraced and celebrated and that can actually advance us versus something that it's like let's just keep, yeah. keep it at bay let's not talk about it oh yeah it's um i could do a whole episode on the um on this i reckon touch because you've got um so there's a whole lot of stigma around that gets reinforced it's also um it's it's convenient to not embrace difference and weirdness right I don't think social media and the Instagram sort of curated lifestyle, I don't think that helps. Uh, I think we're in an incredibly competitive um, environment, society now. And so people just want to fit in. Everybody else's life looks perfect and yet mine doesn't feel perfect. And so I must be broken. You look at all the TV shows, like everything's become a competition. Like baking is a competition. Falling in love on an island is a competition. It's like this. Like, so there's that. And so when you innately don't feel like you ever fit into anything, uh, you have this added pressure, I reckon, to go, oh, I'm just going to keep my head down. Like imposter syndrome, I think, is rife uh, with people who are neurodivergent. I think also what when, and actually I talk about this in my um, ADHD co coaching groups quite a bit. When we go through life, valuing things that we can't do but we see other people do really really well we don't necessarily recognize what we can do well because it doesn't feel like work so when things are really easy we're like you know that's and also you know we're not great at taking compliments people go oh, i love the way you do that and you go oh, it's nothing and we actually do believe it's nothing because it didn't take any effort or any any work mm -hmm. and yet i look at people who can um work spreadsheets and I go that's just absolutely amazing they go it's it's nothing at all and it's like I can't marry up rows and columns um because they all move I don't know how to do a pivot table <laughs> oh a what yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly and you know I, I I struggle with um ATMs checking it in New Zealand I do it a couple of times a week most weeks and yet it still trips me up so trips me up because I have like sequential dyslexia so when a screen moves I don't know where I am when it disappears go to a new one I don't know where I am in the process even though I know all this the screens and because I've got no working memory there's a whole lot of stuff going on there but I just see people do that I see my kids and the way they're amazing um with uh technology and I go I'm, I can't even do that like mm. online shopping I'm useless with because it's screens that disappear um, and it it's just a feeling of being inadequate 
I don't, I think this is answering your question from a personal point of view. I think your question yeah, was, no, about, that's... Um, was about why do we as a society not embrace difference? But I, I mean, I think that that is, it's, it's mostly personal. Yeah, right? And I yeah. think, and I like, you know, you talked from that personal perspective and I'm just even thinking about that from my HR career and working with managers. And what I saw most often was people who, or managers who weren't experiencing it themselves or may not have an understanding of it themselves, the fear of, I don't want to open that conversation. And there's a term that I came across when I was doing some research um, called the fear of finding out. Yep. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to ask that question or I don't want to turn that over that rock because I don't want to know what's under there. I don't want to then deal with that. It was, then I have to deal with it. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yep. you know, so yeah, everything that you shared from that, that personal experience, I think is completely mirrored, mirrored yeah. in society's experience of we still don't, I think it's, as you've said, like there's not just this checklist. There's not just this one box fits all, all ADH people go in here, all dyslexic people go totally, in here, totally. you know? And so it's like, if I can't, put you somewhere if I yeah. can't yep. have a column of things that I can read about you and understand and identify I don't know how to deal with that and what if I get it wrong yeah that and that's the secret I think yes. that's the that's the absolute the nub of it is what if I get it wrong because most people the vast majority of people are kind are good humans right and the fear of getting it wrong the fear of putting my foot in it the fear of Making you feel bad about something I've noticed stops people taking that first step. And that's what we need to do. Like, that's the easiest thing to do is go, I've noticed this. What's going mm. on? Be curious, right? It's like, it's totally. not I'm right and what I'm observing. It's I'm observing. Tell me about what I'm observing. Tell yeah. me about, is that is that is that true? Because yep. my truth may totally. not be the same as your truth, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. like, is that even yeah. accurate <laughs> what I'm seeing? Because it's biased. Yep, totally. And a lot of people are neurodiverse also, they're not con consistent. And so we might not be able to explain some stuff, but also it could be a relief to go, oh, you actually noticed that? I don't have, because mm. I thought I was hiding that and fudging it. And are you telling me I don't need to do that anymore? And so for to just the ability to re relax mm. at work and not have to pretend. Well, because that's what exacerbates the imposter syndrome, right? It's like the silence of it. It exacerbates the shame. You know, Brene Brown talks about the worst thing for shame is silence, you know, because yeah. it makes it grow. It makes it feel like it's something bad. It makes it a shadow part yep. of us where it's like, you know, actually, no, it's part of the functioning. So how do we mm. make that function as something that's powerful? And that leads us into the next question. Like, what is the power? Of different thinking like what is the power yeah. of, of of neurodiversity like what is the impact that we can get from it and the benefits that we can help people live into yep before i do that i just want to um i think it does segue uh into answering that question but there's something that you've just sort of triggered me on that i think we need yeah, perfect. to talk Let's about go. is that um when you are hiding who you innately are that's when the mental health issues kick in yes that's and especially with the the misunderstanding and your well-being, you know, goes downhill. When I'm playing the game of just trying to fit in, of doing my job, working extra hard, doing longer hours, working weekends, nights, that sort of stuff. And the fact that now that we can work from home, we can fudge all that and hide the amount of effort we're actually putting in. Um, that has a huge toll to get home and go, I made it through, nobody mm. noticed, or at least I thought nobody noticed. Just the working really hard is a, um, just to fit in, just to get by, just to be normal, is a takes a huge toll on people, and that's partly why. Uh, well, people with ADHD are, are greater risk takers, uh, overly represented or over represented in suicide stats, um, but also people who are neurodivergent are over represented in falling through the cracks in education, are unemployed and underemployed as well. That 40% of prison populations are thought mm. to have ADHD. Um, dyslexia is really high in prison populations as well. Through the justice system, people in um, overrepresented there. I mean, that makes sense, right? With society not totally being constructed for if you don't fit, difference. You, totally, yeah. yeah, you're being you're pushed out. And so that that's looking at these sort of the negatives, not necessarily faults, but things that people go, oh, there's a whole lot of stuff that you you just don't fit in. But the flip side of that is 
And while I struggle with my ADHD every single day and I put strategies and coping mechanisms and certain things um, in place to help that, I still have micro failures every single day. The combination of that and my dyslexia and, and uh, you know, whatever else is going on, I have these micro failures every day and they're frustrating, but I wouldn't give up my ADHD for the world because it isn't in essence who I am and that combination of stuff that's going on for me makes me who I am and I think that does make me a little bit um, unique I won't say special but a little bit unique and I love that I love my brain one of the questions I use on my podcast is if you woke up tomorrow without ADHD what would you miss and the answers to that are not only hilarious but they're huge as well because people go, actually, this is fundamentally who I am because it's mm. not just about your brain. It's how you process chemicals, which means it's how you use energy. It's mean it's what, it means it's what you do with that energy. Um, and so how that shows up uh, in the workplace in terms of, say, positivity is things like the typical, you know, creativity through the roof, tenacity. Um, when if you look at people who are really invested in what they're doing with ADHD is we can stick at things for a very long, like hyper-focus. Hyper-focus is also known as a, uh, um, an autistic trait as well. Mm. Um, the, there's uh, things like being able to look at problems from a different perspective, think of, you know, generate a whole lot of ideas, uh, generate a whole lot of ideas that may not necessarily be linked, but you know that the links are definitely there. So we need help with explaining um, those sort of things, which means people just need to take time with us. Having a flipped view on things, being able to see the opposite, being able to see the downstream effect mm -hmm. of things. These are all great traits. People with dyslexia are really good connectors um, with people and are driven by experiences. And so may not remember names but might remember what people were wearing or the scent or the way people made them feel and so mm. um, I'm rubbish at taking notes but I'm really good at remembering what was said when and people's reaction to that in a meeting as well I have this kind of a um, uh, I refer to it this way but it's not just like this but it's like a videographic memory so as as long as I'm triggered by an emotion if, if if a memory is anchored in an emotion then I will remember that like I'll remember the entire setting of things who was where what was where what was going on who said what how people reacted who was fidgeting who um who did what with their face at what particular time like I've just got all that and I can access that sort of stuff and I always thought it was just noise um but it's sometimes really, really useful I mean we're emotional beings so the fact that you can tap into that as a yeah. memory, you know, like, cause it, I mean, we all could probably do that, but the fact that you do that so clearly and vividly and, yeah. you know, quickly is huge. Well, and so that's amazing. However, in that meeting, if you were to, to verbally give me a list of three things to do, I won't remember those, right? Because like, a list. Tell them write me. down these three things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Because, because if, there's not a, an emotion attached to those things because a list, I'm, I'm scared of lists. Mm -hmm. And so I will do anything to avoid a list. Um, and that's something I need to do. I need to create a list in a way that works for me. And that's just a different way. Like imagine that if we were in a team meeting, it's like, Callum, you need to do this. You need to do it by this date. And this is what it needs to look like. And if you gave me some time to go, all right, I need to work back in time because I'm a, um, with ADHD, our sense of time is there's now and not now. And that's it, right? So two minutes and two years from now has exactly the same gravity, importance, implications, right? And the fact that I'm not in the two minutes from now means two minutes doesn't exist. It, do, it doesn't matter, right? So you got to tell me, okay, what, what, how do I gamify that? Yeah. How do I make that. that something that's important to me? It could be, I'm going to be really let down if we don't do this. And I go, shit, the last thing I want to do is let people down. Like the shame of letting people down because I forgot is huge and so I sometimes use that as a um, as motivation as a trigger it's like this person means something to me don't want to let them down so I'll do it I mean this actually this just goes to the core of how we connect things together right like I mean if I think about change processes in HR you know companies are so quick to create change processes, this, that, and they wonder why they fail. They wonder why the system implementation didn't go well. They wonder why this restructure 
feels like a flop. And this essentially goes back to this core thing that you're just talking about around the reason it flops or the reason people don't care is because there is nothing emotionally connected to it like why is this important you telling me that it's important doesn't mean anything to me it's important to you but what is this connection to me I mean this is like and where are the boundaries for me to be able to make this important like can I how do I which means how do I own this like how do I own the importance um, and invest myself in this Um, because people don't care and it's and and that's because the vision's lacking yeah like where does this fit in or we expect everyone's values to be the same. So yeah. we go, we're here to make lots of money. And we go, okay, so that makes you richer. But actually money isn't a currency that I trade on. I trade um, on uh, emotions. Like I'm rubbish with money. I don't care. It's just a number to me. But if it's like such and such people will be happier if you could you know, do that or, or we'll get greater satisfaction or we'll feel valued. That, like that's what works for me. Mm. but I get that that doesn't work for other people as well. And so we've got to have the money and we've got to have the emotion currency and we've got to have the time currency. It'll yeah, and this comes time. back to individualization of really? like, how do we connect people to what we're trying to do in a way that connects to them? Yeah. That takes time. But it also takes trust. Yeah, and it takes it means... safety. It takes energy. Exactly. Yep, yeah. it does. And it's inefficient. But I guarantee in the long run, it's far more efficient because people get to own it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with like my clients, like I, cause I coach leaders and I just say, look, what I'm suggesting is going to take you more time now, but it's going to take you far less time in the long term. If you just invest right now, Mm. you're not going to have nine of these problems (laughs) in three months time, you know, and it's, but again, the human conditioning is we discount the long-term for the short-term, right? We discount the long-term benefit for the short-term gain. I think that's the the right way I'm saying that. Yeah, it's, you know, like, I'm not going to think about the long-term because right now I'm just trying to get through this moment or I'm trying to get through this day. Um, All right, I do, oh, we can just, I'm going to have to get you back because there's like way more that I want to talk about here. But those are really powerful benefits, really powerful impacts that we can get from different thinkers, you know? And I actually just, you know, I want to just say this is different thinkers in general, you know, even if maybe you haven't been diagnosed or maybe you don't currently say that you, you know, have neurodivergence. If you think slightly differently, we can still harness this as a way for a superpower. So for those who think differently, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what would be three to five tips, tools, or strategies that you can share with listeners for them to start embracing or maybe even just in understanding potentially uh, how they can really harness their different thinking as a superpower? Yeah, a tricky, tricky question in that everybody's different, right? And everybody has their own experience, mm-hmm. I guess, regardless of whether you're neurotypical or neurodiverse. But in that sort of neurodiverse umbrella term um, with that comorbidities, et cetera, everyone has a different experience. So it's kind of hard to come up with a series of tips or tools or, or strategies um, to help out. But I think the number one thing is get to know yourself. Mm. Ask some people that you trust and go, what are the things, what are the things you notice about me that are a wee bit different from other people? Mm. Maybe do it with your team. One activity I do, I love doing this um, because people think, where are you going with this? This is so <laughs> irrelevant, but it's the most relevant thing I think that that you can start off that's not relevant to work and comes into work is as a team, look at how do you hang out the washing? Uh, how do you do your shopping list? Um, so the washing is you'll get multiple people. You go, okay, we've got to set up some criteria to this. I will answer your question, Tasha, in the end. We've got to set up some criteria. So let's just say we've got one of those square-shaped rotating washing lines. Uh, how do you hang out your washing? Um, do you color code your pegs? Oh my God, um, this is making me think like exactly like my laundry process. It's that, so what size, you know, at, what, do you have bigger things at the back, at the front? Whatever, you know, how do you do sheets? What, what do you do with socks? Are they toe end um, or do you peg them at the ankle? Do you use one peg per pair of socks? Um, all this sort of stuff. And you can go, this is, this is stupid. This is irrelevant. But what you'll find is that people in teams have a different approach to things. Yeah. And not only is it fun and it's light and who cares how you hang out your washing? It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, a married, like a husband and wife would probably say we definitely care. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100%, right? Because there's difference in that. And so we go, yeah, okay, you do that. And you go, what? Yeah. I all, love all this, this activity. Sort of so it's brilliant. 
And, and then you go, okay, how does that relate? How do those differences in our approach show up at work where people go, oh, Judy, I knew you would do, do your pegs like that because you do. You're very systemized or like yeah, you're very like right. linear, logical thinking. Yeah. Alex, you're chaotic. You're all yeah. over. Like you just chuck something at a line and maybe throw a peg at it and hope it lands. And it's like, that's fun because that's how you are with, you know, because nothing's a problem for you or, you know. and, and We so, get these, these ideas come through and yeah. then we can flesh them out and we can create a system that, you know, and then Judy can create the system about yeah. how we get from A to B. I love this activity. So learn about yourself. Go ahead. Okay. And, and then learn about the people around you. So ask the question, like, what's different about me? Because I think one thing we don't realize is we're often trying to hide the things that people really like or love about us anyway. Yes. Often what I hear from people who are, um, who have ADHD or find out they have um, dyslexia is when they tell people close to them, they go, well, of course you do. Mm. You know, did you not know that? Um, because we see it. Yeah. Right, And we're often hiding the thing, trying to hide the things that people love about us. And so embrace that and go, mm. what is, what, what's in that? Um, I think maybe in the workplace, we've kind of already touched on it, is be, as a leader, be curious mm. and safely, safely and kindly say, I've noticed this, um, what's going on? Uh, I've noticed these sorts of things, or even just going, I love the way you do that. I know some of these things are really a challenge for you and we can talk about that, but I love that because there is always a good thing. There's always, mm. um, it's not a trade-off, but being neurodivergent has far more um, opportunity. Potential. Potential and opportunity <laughs> and greatness in there. It's just that uh, we focus on the negatives. Mm. Well, we're always focusing on the weaknesses, right? Like in my episode with Daria, it's like, how can we actually be more strengths focused around how can we have people harnessing their strengths? And this comes back to what you were saying. And I would actually add this as a tip if you weren't going to was focus on what comes naturally and what flows. Yep. Right. Yep. Like, because that's what we need to maximize yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. if this comes so easily and so naturally to you, how can we, how can we utilize that, you know, and then have someone else do the things where you're like, oh my God, this is drudge work. This is going to take me yeah. 50 billion hours yeah. where it's like, actually that will take Judy 30 seconds because that's her flow work. Yeah. That's definitely like, so what does come naturally, but again, getting back to the fact that a lot of people don't value that yeah. um, because it comes really easily. So one of the questions, I, I guess a flip of that question or an alternative is how do you fill your boat outside of work? Because mm. often we get to work and we persevere and get through things, go, okay, and, but we, we nourish and nurture ourselves or the things that we can do naturally by you know hobbies or interests mm. in, outside of work and go okay what's similar about that that we could bring into work and how do we allow you to replicate what that does for you at work that. that's a cool conversation to have yeah so go, okay where do you how do you fill your bucket outside of work what is it about that is there any way we could do that and again coming back to your earlier point is that just takes time it takes a conversation and it takes and a willingness to look at work a little bit differently. Um, mm. These stupid job descriptions we have that go, you start and you finish a, pro a process and you do everything in between. You've got to be amazing at every single step. No one is. Mm. Mm -hmm. Nobody is. But I mean, that's the that's where work started was factory industrialization. Everyone's the same. You work a line, you know, yeah. the processes, the system and the, you know, linear yeah. and everything. And so we're you know, now in that knowledge age. And I would say now we're kind of coming out of the knowledge age into the transformative age of like how uh -huh. do we actually take the knowledge into transformation. Uh -huh. And so we need critical thinking. We need creativity. We need to be leaning into the what are we doing as a human and how does that lead into what do I do for work, not yeah. Yeah. what do I do for work. But we're still, so yes, we are moving into that, era but we're still relying on those traditional yeah. um frameworks like mm -hmm. a, a job description which you know the other extreme and i'm not suggesting people go this but it would probably work as if we had a job description that just said 
come and be your best. Come and do what you do naturally. Come and deliver this. I don't care how you do it. Yeah. Can you deliver this? Yeah. Can you deliver this result? Totally, totally, totally. And imagine the interview for that. Be like, okay, what? how do you go about that? Oh, I do it this way. Yeah, I reckon we can cope with that. Yeah. Well, no, that's outside of the scope of things. We can't afford that. It's like, okay, cool. Now, you know, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. So that's taking it to an extreme. But really, it is about, um, yeah, no, we're going to go down a rabbit. But I mean, I mean, my my challenge to that would be like, if we can't get, go extreme now, when are we going to go extreme? You know, like that's exactly. that's is probably why I eventually had to leave the corporate space for my own brain is because, yeah, no, this doesn't work. No, we can't do it that way. No, we need to do it differently. No, why do we do? Why do we still do it this way? And people just got yep. sick of that. So I was like, okay, that's well, my cue of like, I'm just going to be the person outside to tell you yep. to say that. <laughs> I think we're also fooling ourselves that we are. Uh, you know, freeing up and bringing more humanity into the workplace, that sort of sort of thing. No, we're not. We're just wrapping it up differently. Like we're just masking it a little bit, bit differently. Um, there's still a whole bunch of rules and expectations. Um, and there has to be, you know, to, to a certain degree. Yeah, we don't want to have complete anarchy. Like There's know. a lot of, totally, uh, there's a lot of marketing going on saying that the workplace has changed and it's, no, it's not. Yeah. Really. I mean, if we just actually embraced people, the workplace would fundamentally change in and of itself. But, let's, yeah. you know, that's... Yeah. Well, work used to be the greatest st stress in people's life, but now life is the greatest stress in people's work. We're yeah. bringing a whole lot of stuff there and we're going, like, people aren't... People are falling over at work. They are underperforming. They are suffering. They're needing to take greater time off, not because of the work, but because of what's happening outside of work. And yeah. so we do need to humanize the workplace. We do need to take into account the fact that we've got people who are suffering. The majority of people, I don't know anybody who isn't affected these days by someone in or around their family with mm -hmm. um, some sort of mental ill health, people that are struggling financially. But let's just acknowledge that that stuff is going on and make the workplace a sanctuary for them to come and get some time off from the shitness of life. Yeah. <laughs> and how can we make work like an enjoyable experience where they don't have to be on edge? And what do we know? <laughs> when people are like that, they work better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's oh. like, but if we just had more data about that, Cullen, we course. just we yeah, just true. need more research. We need we more research. We do. So let's so do let's a, spend a more longitudinal money on research. study. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we could go down many rabbit holes. We are yeah. definitely going to do this again. That is for Sorry. sure. So those were amazing. Those were amazing starting points. And I know that we can't do a catch-all. So these are absolutely things that no matter who you are, you can mm -hmm. do, you can focus on and spend some time with. So get to know yourself. What things do you do differently? What are the mm -hmm. things that come easily? Uh, you know, what fills your boat outside of work? So that kind of links to that one. And I really love this one. What am I hiding that people love about me? I really yeah. love that question. I'm actually going to sit with that one myself. And as a leader, be curious. So safely and kindly share observations and open up conversations. You so are really amazing. Like there's there is no way I said any of that. Like I can't remember <laughs> having said any of that. Um, but if that's what you've taken from, like you're an absolute gem. Well done. <laughs> this is this is this is what I bring to my coaching. People will wow. be like, blah, blah, blah. I'll be like, okay, so it's this, this, and this, and this is how it connects, and this is what you were saying over there. And cool. this is, and they were like, Whoa. <laughs> So you see how we're quite different and yet yeah. we would make an amazing team. Like this is just the but like it's and it's about complimenting but also yeah. amplifying the things that people do like you did that with no effort you know and I don't even know how you do that and like you came up with five or six things I completely lost count after the second one and I'm like and 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 what I do in awe of that is I shut down from listening because I'm like this is amazing like I'm you spent 20 seconds just summarizing an hour and I'm like that's <laughs> that's thank you I'm not going to bypass that compliment. Thank you very much. Good Helen. for you. I'm going to Take soak it. that one in. <laughs> that was oh, genius. Thank you. Well, I have loved listening to how your brain works. I have loved, yeah, loved everything that you have to share. And I know that it's a thank really you. big conversation and it's one that I definitely want to have more of so that I can build my own knowledge base that I can, you know, learn more because I can, I know a few of my clients, they've shared with me that they are neurodivergent, but there may be more that maybe haven't shared that. And I, I know that there will be many Absolutely. more that I'll work with. So I really want to make sure that I'm 
I mean, I'm not going to get it right. And I know that. And I'm all about, I don't know. Let's talk about it. So this has been so great to start that. So thank you cool. so much. Um, thank three you. staple questions that I ask all my guests at the end of the episode. What is your number one energy filling practice that you do consistently? I think energy begets energy. So I like to use up energy in order to refresh those sort of energy stores. Um, so I love to run and bike and uh, just just move like I'm constantly on on the go. So I um, gather energy by expending energy. I love that. that. Yeah. yeah. I love so it. Well, I love to do. That's awesome. And I'm the complete opposite. I like to nap. And oh, yeah. use as little amount of energy to regain energy. <laughs> Again, uniqueness, right? Yeah. Uh, what is the one mindset reminder you focus on to boost your confidence? Um, I don't. Uh, I don't need confidence to be my confidence to be boosted. I. I don't lack confidence. I think I lack courage sometimes. Mm. Uh, so, and I think this is the same with lots of people that. We don't necessarily um, lack the confidence to do stuff. We lack the courage to do things. Oh, um, I need to change my question. <laughs> well, no, 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 don't. don't, no, I don't, love don't. that. Because confidence is definitely a, a part of things. Um, but I, the way I, the way I step into having a bit more courage is to, um, and this isn't, these aren't my thoughts, but to recognize that um, nobody cares as much as about things as I do. Um, nobody's watching. They're all caring about themselves and worrying about themselves. Totally. No one's thinking about me as much as um, as I am, right? Uh, so just let that let that go. And while, and sometimes I also think this is probably some manipulation. I go, what can I get away with while everybody's distracted thinking about themselves? And oh, that gives me some courage to so go. Good. I'm just going to go and do this. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't, I have this, I have this confidence sort of energy glow that sort of sits in the middle of my chest and that's always there. But I think turning that into that action, um, which I think takes courage, that's the stuff I need to work on. And so I just do what needs to, to do what I need to do to fool myself that nobody's looking, nobody cares, everyone's caught up. What can I get away with? I love that. That is good. You know, or, you know, like the extension of that is like, I'm doing what other people wish they could be doing. So why? So yeah, let's just go. Let's just yeah. go for it. Yeah. Yep. I love that. And last one is what is one boundary that you uphold that supports you to be your best? Mm. Um, I had some fairly significant life changes a couple of years ago. And what that did it gave me um, permission to as much as I can, 100% embrace myself, which means that those people that don't embrace me, um, I can let go of. Like I was a yes person my entire life, but I think uh, my boundary of the good humanness, like I, I gravitate towards good humans and sometimes I get fooled that I think that they're they're, they're better for me than, than they actually are. But I think over the last couple of years, I've got really good at setting some boundaries and going, where's your toxic radar? Is what are, you, what are you getting from this person? And to actually cut that off as opposed to giving people second, third, fourth, tenth chances. Um, and that's what I always used to do, almost as a martyr, almost mm -hmm. sort of setting myself up, sabotaging myself. Well, it makes sense from what you did at school though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Creature yeah. of habit, right? Yeah. Absolute creature of habit. So now I'm pretty quick to jettison people who I love that. Who don't um I feel really bad saying this, who don't offer me anything because I as a result I can't offer them anything in return. You know? Mm -hmm. And um because I think that's what life is. It needs it's to be a, an exchange. It's an totally. exchange of of energy. It's an exchange. Yep. I mean, it is just an exchange of energy, whether that's through money, whether that's through time, whether that's through love, whether that's through connection. Yep. That's all energy. It's just packaged with something different. So I, I get with a bad feeling, it makes you feel like you're a terrible person. Be like, yeah. I don't want, I don't want to be around you because you don't give me anything. But again, it's like, what what are we bringing for each other like otherwise what is what is it right yeah. so I love that totally. amazing well oh my god this could just go on forever so I'm going <laughs> to cut this off thank you so much Cullen this was 
absolutely incredible. Can you please share where people can connect with you? And I'll sure. also add this into the show notes. Okay, sure. Um, simple website, uh, really clunky name, callummccurdy.com. Um, that can be Googled. So, um, or email me, callum at callummccurdy.com. Um, so that's a, an easy way to find me. Uh, I, I hang about and loiter on uh, LinkedIn quite a bit as well. Um, and uh, so get in touch there if, if uh, people want to. But I, you know, I hang around a bit um, online. I'm not really on all the other socials because they're yeah. a bit of a distraction. Mm -hmm. um, but LinkedIn and uh, my website um, always. And the... you also have a podcast. So you didn't actually list this when I when you first booked your recording. So you, me, and ADHD. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to go listen to some, especially Lisa O'Neill. She's fabulous. Oh, she's so I definitely want to go listen to her. Um, Amazing. So if you enjoyed this episode, please get in touch with either Cullum or myself and let us know what you thought and reach out to Cullum and let him know. And if there's anything that you want me to ask him or, you know, bring him back on for more, for more chats, then let me know that as well. So again, thank you so much for your exchange of time and energy. And I'm sure listeners are going to get so much from this episode. Great. I hope so. Thanks so much, Tash. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lead With Less, the podcast for confident professionals with me, Tash Peterser. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. As a thank you, each month, one lucky reviewer will get a 45-minute one-to-one coaching session with me where you will get the tools and strategies to lead with less burnout, overwhelm, and self-doubt. And if you know anyone who could benefit from listening to the show, then please do share this with them and help me reach as many confident professionals as possible.